What's up, everybody? This is Elliot Terrell with ArtOfMagic.com, and you're listening to Magical Thinking. Thanks so much for enjoying the show, you guys. I really appreciate all the feedback. If you have some, you can email me at podcast at artofmagic.com. The guest for this episode is Jared Koff. He's one of my all-time favorite magicians. I know I say that about everybody, but he really is. He's a dear friend. He's an incredible, amazing performer. Every time I watch him do a set at the castle or I see him at a convention or a lecture of some sort, it's just really powerful, moving magic. And I just, I just love him so much. In this episode, we talk about his mentor, Bob White, a whole lot and how important Bob was to shaping the magician that Jared is and actually just the person that Jared is. There's also a lot of talk about Erdnays. Jared got a law degree and is amazing at quoting books. And so there's a lot of direct quotes from Erdnays, which is a lot of fun. There's also some old school inside baseball stuff regarding some of the the vernon disciples if you will but anyway this is this is a great episode it's a little shorter than usual jared had a performance at the magic castle that he had to go get ready for but i'm so appreciative and he's just he's just the best also don't forget to like us on facebook facebook.com slash magical thinking podcast we have our own facebook page now where you can stay up to date make sure to choose get notifications and all that jazz you can also like us on facebook uh, with at a sense of mystery and on instagram at a sense of mystery at treasury of wonder on twitter you know the deal just get in touch join the newsletter i want to hear from you send me a message let's chit chat anyway the esteemed amazing reverend jared Koff, esquire warrior shaman wizard enjoy yeah dude his cards up the sleeve is fun oh i think i'm gonna have to play with that yeah lots of his stuff is so cool <laughs> You know, that's how Ricky and Ricky Smith and I kind of became friends. Really? Over Drawing Room Deceptions and Ernest Dierick, but mostly Drawing Room Deceptions. It's so great. We were both reading that book. It came out. We were the only kids we knew that could do any of the stuff in it. <laughs> and you do Triumph, yeah. You do the second phase, yeah. Good. You got yeah. the dexterous interchange. Mm-hmm. You don't have a jacket either. You can't show me right now. I can't show you either. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's awesome. How long have you and Ricky known each other? I mean, what year did that book come out? A few years, a couple of years before that, we knew each other. And then the year that book came out, we just, I mean, that was a TAOM, so 98, 99, is that when that came out? So, how long is that? 16 years? <laughs> Jesus, we're all going to be dead so soon. Oh my God. That's crazy. How old are you guys at the time? I'm just trying to get up the time. I don't know. We're, we're both in 14, 15, 16, something like that. We were kids. And, and, and Dan and Dave were at that convention. Standing over by the escalators, making visual art all the way back then too. Like yeah. they were, people like, who the hell are these kids? Yeah, those were good years, and and I didn't know it at the time. I was just having fun. Yeah, and everybody must be like this, but I didn't know that, and probably only because that those, all these people are still around that yeah. I that I remember those times now. But uh, yeah, those were good years. That's great. 
to us, like Lee and uh, Aaron and Fisher and R. Paul Wilson and Cranzo, like those cats were the big kids to us. Yeah. And then everybody else was the master that you really couldn't, you know, I knew Bob mm-hmm. uh, and Gary. I, I mean, I was, the, I was the luckiest of the crew. And then, you know, Ricky... Ricky was just interested in the exact same things I was interested in. And there were other, you know, young magicians that were interested in magic, but he was interested in the, that niche of, mm-hmm. like, neo-modernism, right? I never met another guy like him at the, yeah. At the time. Yeah. Because he was, he was in Houston, right? And were you... Where were yeah, you? I think he was... I don't know if he was working for H&R at that time. Uh, he was too young to be. Yeah. I mean, he... He was going from convention to convention. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm just trying to. Know. Yeah, because how were you? You were were you born and raised in Texas? Mm-hmm. Okay, and so you've been there forever. I'm just trying to figure out when the when. Yeah, this is the mid to the late '90s. Yeah, was when. Did you guys see each other much? I'm just curious. <laughs> no, but we would see each other at conventions, yeah. and it would be like. What you, we'd always be reading the same thing yeah, yeah. or interested in the same stuff. I mean, I could talk to him about Vernon and Skinner, not so much Brother John Hammond, but all the all the classic, like Arthur Buckley. Who else mm-hmm. are you going to jam with Arthur Buckley on in 1997? You know, no one else knew who I was talking about. Yeah. He did and a few other guys, you know, of the local crew. Of the local crew, there was Mike Williams and Brian O'Neill and... Bob was the sun, and everyone else was the planets, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the boys at Magicland, what was Douglas Magicland, and then when I was there, Howard Hale and Mark Roberts owned the shop. So that was, I mean, pretty much all the 90s. I went from whippersnapper to, <laughs> to tween to teen to magic-obsessed adult through... From with that magic shop, mm-hmm. and then of course TOMs and SAMs and IBMs. I didn't go to many conventions, but I went to the TAOM mm-hmm. pretty much wherever it was. I went to the combined IBM SAM, and then by that time, I'd gotten old enough to go wherever I wanted. Yeah, on my own. Mm-hmm. But those when but from the age of like twelve. To, which I think back now, I mean, you see 12 year olds at conventions now all the time. Like, yeah, where yeah. are you from? Oh, I'm from Philadelphia. <laughs> where are your parents? Well, oh, they put a, you know, stuck a note on me and said, please take care of him. Right? You know I mean? like, they wind up at these conventions. They got cell phones and they're like, I'll just call Uber. Yeah. I'm like, okay, good for you, buddy. Right? You're making your way. Yeah, you're making your way. But back then, you could. I'm surprised they let us do that. Yeah. But I think they kind of knew, like, we just had a, a, a hotel full of babysitters <laughs> who would just talk to us and help, you know what I mean? I guess yeah, that's yeah. what our parents must have been thinking. <laughs> Whatever, it doesn't matter where he is, just get him out of the house. I don't yeah. care. Just, I don't want to see another card trick. That's right. <laughs> I didn't really do, I mean, my brother saw his fair share of card tricks, mm-hmm. but I, I love it when my parents come to see me do magic. Yeah. Because they have no, like, you know how some people say, oh, you're... Our families, they know that we're really not doing da-da-da-da-da. From the questions my parents asked me, they're under the impression that I learned some really cool stuff in college. You yeah. Know, they don't know that, like, I think that's pretty cool. 
I didn't hit them with a lot of magic tricks, but they were very supportive. They let me go to the shop, let me skip a lot of school. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. How old were you when you got into it, and how did that magic? Happen? Yeah. Uh, it, it's kind of a cliched story. I I saw magic when I was. I remember seeing a card trick by my grandfather, which now could be a false memory, but it, I I think it was the circus card trick of, or something like it, a mm-hmm. key card. And I was like, maybe four or five. And at that point, I loved cards. And he had a lot of different decks of cards. I also remember that. He had Tally Ho. And I didn't know the names at the time, mm-hmm. but I loved looking at all of my grandfather's cards. And they lived in New York, so he had all the East Coast weird cards that I never saw in Texas. Yeah. Though they probably existed somewhere in Texas, they weren't popular mm-hmm. there. So the East Coast, there were a lot of Tally Ho cards in New York. Uh, and in Texas, I only saw bikes and bees, and so he showed me a trick. And then I really loved my grandfather. He was he was awesome. he was a cool guy. And then I saw, of all things, a dad who had gone to the magic shop, mm-hmm. which shop I don't know, had said the fall. You know, you know, you've heard it. Obvious. I mean, if anyone's ever worked in a magic shop, you've heard. Some dad comes in and says, hey, I got a birthday party with a bunch of kids. I need some tricks that I can learn. Give me 10 of them. And then they drop 500 bucks. They learn none of them. Yep. They might learn one or two. They take the whole thing and shove it in a closet or throw it in the garbage mm-hmm. when it's over. Right? Magic dad. And he bought the Chinese linking rings. And in my memory, he learned a routine. In reality, he did not. <laughs> right sure. whatever it is he did mm-hmm. to my six year old brain or five year old brain however I mean I was young mm-hmm. and I'd never I mean I didn't I knew my grandfather did a cool trick mm-hmm. but it didn't feel like magic or anything this did mm-hmm. and it had you know it was a prop and you know of the things that appealed to you when you were a child and uh, I wanted it I just wouldn't shut up until someone would take me to the library or and then I, we found Magic Land. How we did that, I have no idea before the internet. I don't know. I don't even know how you go about... Like, my, my father must have looked up Magic Shop in the Yellow Pages or something or yeah. told someone to look it up for him. But one day we wound up going to Magic Land. I was like, this place is... This is Mecca. This is, this is where, you know... This is where the magic is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it was. No, seriously, yeah, I can imagine. It's... And and I just got lucky. I stumbled upon the place where Bob White and, and many a great magician before him, where they just held court and shot the breeze. and uh, So that's how, I mean, I just got started in that same old way and just haven't looked back from that. And the same magic that got me into it is exactly what appeals to me now. I haven't really changed much in my I taste. I think that's pretty fair for a lot of people as far as, mm-hmm. you know, like the stuff that you get into at the early stages is kind of what... Yeah. This that You just take, you do the same tricks, you just add nuance and, and you know, uh-huh. what you've learned to them. I couldn't agree more. The I people that are really into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how did you get close with Bob? Because he wouldn't talk to me. Yeah, he I wouldn't did. talk to me at first. But I was also really young. Yeah, you know, and he was already old. Yeah. So he had no, he had nothing to talk to me 
about as far as he was concerned. He was probably right, too. So, I mean, I would hear every once in a while, he's like, don't show anything to him. He's, you know. But I, I, was, I was pretty obsessed with Vernon already. His, one of his students, Jason Walmick, was, worked at the Magic Store at the time. And he did Triumph, and he, and he told me, he says, oh, that, I, I wanted to buy it. Mm -hmm. I had like 10 bucks, I was gonna buy a trick. And uh, I said, well, where can I buy that? And I was looking in the case, looking for the deck of cards that did it, and he's like, no, 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 it's in the Vernon book up there. You gotta go over the books. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of magic books, you know, from gifts, from, because by that point, everyone, all my relatives knew I liked it. Mm -hmm. I had practical mental effects from, by Animan, or it's just a bunch of stuff from the Jinx re-edited, you know how that mm -hmm. works, but I got it from my uncle when I was in the fourth grade, you know? <laughs> you were given a yeah. tome of, of I still, magic I, secrets. You're not kidding. When I read it, I was like, oh my goodness, this, what year was this? About 30. That was the other thing, like, magic made me a nostalgist and all this stuff, for, you yeah, know? Yeah. I like, uh, I mean, realistically, you don't want to go back before the time of penicillin. Yeah. That's out of the question, or indoor plumbing or something, right? But I, I you know, the, the old books and stuff, I like that feature of it too, mm -hmm. right? And the fact that they're secret and that we have a secret library and all that stuff. But with Bob, I kind of, I think he was upset that I had found Vernon already in a little way, you know? Because my dad bought the Vernon Book of Magic. I begged him to buy it. So this is before Triumph. it was reprinted, right? And yeah. Triumph's not in that book. No, it's. I said, "Will you give me the Vernon book? I need this Vernon book that the guy showed me." Yeah. Because I didn't know Jason from Adam at that time. He just worked at the shop, and uh, I didn't know it was polite to learn the people that you frequently see learn their names. <laughs> and um, he bought the book, and he—it's like a first edition. Wow. Vernon Book of Magic. And I it was unsolicited. I said, I really want this book. Maybe for my birthday I could get it. And, uh, and I think it was, you know, $100 or something. Wow. And I had no concept of how much that money was. Or I knew it was 10 tricks that I could have gotten. And I was ready. I said, like, uh, any 10. Yeah. I'll trade any 10 for that trick. Yeah. And when I got the book, I was sad that it wasn't in there. But I, then I read the Vernon Touch, that essay. That was the first serious essay, <laughs> if you can call it. It is a good essay yeah. um, that I had read that kind of sh shook me. And it was, you know, it's about the professor. And How old are you at this time reading this essay? Dude. 14? No. Like fourth or fifth grade. Oh, my 11 God. or 12, 13. I don't know. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> I you just were wanted that trick. In it, man. I didn't understand a lot of it. You yeah. know, I learned the Han Ping Chen trick. When I showed what I was doing to Bob, he was like, Oh, you know. Oh God. No. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was yeah. wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I knew I just read the Vernon Touch, read that essay. Mm -hmm. You know when you read that, you know that this is very special and that they begged him to make this and that if it weren't for his you know whoever was that you know, convinced Vernon to ever pose for a photo or write down some notes or send them a letter to explain how it worked. Like, we're lucky we have any Vernon material. Mm -hmm. Any. Let alone footage of him. But, because, you know, the man never penned a book. I mean, he wrote the little pamphlet, Secrets, mm -hmm. and he annotated Erdnays, 
which begins with, this is the book I've always wanted to write. And I was like, dude, you know, that ain't a book, Vernon. You're annotating another book. You made notes. <laughs> yeah. But, um, oh, but they're priceless. Oh, of course. In, in any of its guises, those, those uh, revelations or revelation, if you want to. Um, but I was already into Vernon. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know anything about him. Mm -hmm. There were no other products that I could find that were about him. And I wasn't, you know, I didn't know anything about magic. You can't know much. I had my magic drawer building and I had my small collection of books. I'll tell you the books that I had. I had a Tannins catalog from 1983 with Copperfield and, and his helmet hair and his, his shirt open <laughs> to like the ninth button. Um... <laughs> On the cover, something very important. Posing for, with a rose for, for a young man of your. Well, it had it had uh, card manipulations one and two or something, mm -hmm. or or one of either both of those or one of those reprinted in the back. That's cool. Uh huh. And so I learned Silas and the Slickers. I think it's volume two. The Hugard book. Yeah, yeah. And so that I didn't know what a double lift was. Uh, I learned the double lift from that trick, which just says, do the double lift. And it just occurred to me, like, the, what, the only thing that could mean is, is you turn them over, mm -hmm. right? And then uh, after I got the Vernon book, the Vernon double lift was in there, so I learned that one. Mm -hmm. And so essentially what happened was, I, was, I found out about Erdnays through, having read through this catalog and the trick descriptions and going to the books and finding the Vernon Book of Magic and then when you found that you found Vernon's tribute to Nate Leipzig and Moline and like all those prices were from 1983 mm -hmm. from like 10 years earlier yeah. so I didn't I didn't even know I could I thought the and 10 years earlier to me was a lifetime so I was like well surely the store doesn't even exist anymore you know what I mean I didn't even it have the or one time I tried to call Tannins mm -hmm. from that catalog number, but they'd moved who knows how many a couple times yeah, yeah. since that, that that time that catalog was printed. So uh, I had that. I had uh, the Vernon Book of Matt. I mean, I had a really limited library filled with like really good stuff. Yeah, yeah. And knew nothing else. Yeah. You know, I had the Encyclopedia of Card Tricks, Scarneon Cards. I liked cards a lot. Mm -hmm. Early on, I had uh, a couple books from the library that didn't get returned. <laughs> you know, um, at my first TAOM, I got uh, Greater Magic because the because Mephistopheles is on the cover, and I just thought it was awesome. I'm literally lucky. It's all luck. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. then when I opened it, and I always would go into like the Encyclopedia of Card Tricks or what have you, and and get Vernon's genius confirmed for me. Mm -hmm. I would go to see if his tricks were in this guy's book. Mm -hmm. And if they were, I'd be like, ah, oh, the Vernon touch wasn't fooling. He, he is, like, this guy's stuff is ubiquitous. And then I got expert card tick. Then I realized that there, has a, there was an awesome Dover series. You know how this mm -hmm. stuff happens. It happens to everyone yeah, yeah. who gets into the academics of magic. And, uh, you know... The academics of magic. I've never even... That so perfectly and succinctly sums up what it is that people like us do. Yeah. You know. A lifetime of study. That's amazing. Yeah, that we're phrase. academics. And guys like Magic Christian and Kalush 
and Ricky Jay, they're real scholars. Mm-hmm. Like uh, that that or book. That's the stuff of PhDs. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. In any other discipline, yeah, that would be a staggering work of biography. Yeah. You know, so it, it's it, there. We have a scholarship, of course. We have. You know, conquering our uh, yeah, I've, I've thought about it in that in yeah. that way. I just love that phrase. Yeah, I think that's a, would be a, a nice little attitude shift for the magic community. You know, it would be like. I just think it would encourage people to tap into that side of it mm-hmm. or admit that they already do that and, mm-hmm. and embrace it, you know? We don't really have a Hogwarts to go to, yeah. but what would that, that, those novels be without that mise-en-scene, you know? Mm-hmm. They're in school. Yeah. We don't really have that. But my friend, in, in Dallas, I have a friend, Ian Richards. He's, he's a geologist, you know. He works at SMU. He's a, pro- a professor and a, a lecturer and a research scientist. And he and his wife, Maria, who are just wonderful, live a few blocks from me. And he's a very good magician, very funny, witty and dry and really interesting guy. And some, I think, I'm not putting words in his mouth, but a colleague of his asked him, you know, having studied magic and and geology and so, like, how would you rate them Mm -hmm. uh, as far as academic disciplines? And he'd say, oh, I I know people who have PhDs in magic that do not, that, that, but there's no, there's no real degree. There's no certificate. Right. Yeah. But they are, they are academics on par with scientists and historians and critics and things. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's a lot of them. Not many, many, but more more than I think most people would realize. Like, Caveney? That guy's Um, Dr. Caveney, man. That guy's the president of the university. Yeah, Dr. (laughs) J. Yeah. That would be pretty cool. That would be cool. If Ricky J went by Dr. J. Dr. J. Yeah. That's the other thing. Like, you know, Hofsenzer, he didn't have a doctorate from what I can tell. He just called himself doctor. That's why, you know, I thought I would have a business card printed that said, I mean, it's just too, it's too pretentious, but it's funny. I think it's funny. <laughs> to have a business card that says the, uh, the amazing Reverend Jared Koff Esquire. Right? <laughs> I Wiz- think you've told me that. Wizard, uh, priest, uh, shaman, lawyer. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's my bit like, here you go, sir. What the? <laughs> what is the amazing Reverend Jared Esquire. Please have it made. I want what's I know. <laughs> I'm into making this. Oh, dude. I, I'm into making business cards right now for my friends as, like, you know, gifts and stuff. Mm-hmm. Especially because, you know, you can get business cards printed so cheaply these days, and they usually come back looking kind of cheap. Mm-hmm. But. Use them, you know. I use them in tricks and things, and and then you save like the the really, really you know, the, like the card you handed me. It's like here's a dollar, sir. Yeah. <laughs> I really respect you enough to just be giving you a buck right now because that's how much this card cost. Um, but like, if you're going to be doing graphology and, or you can just tell like this is wasted words. Mm-hmm. You can hand out the kind of the cheapo card. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Um, but you want it to look nice too. Mm-hmm. 
And I was using cards in the, the castle, yep. and uh, I ran out of them. So I had to go to the index, the index cards, which is nice. But I, you know, I've heard people say you shouldn't write on your own business card or fold it. It should be valuable and so on. Mm-hmm. And I have a card that's it looks pretty valuable. It isn't. Mm-hmm. And I'm more on the on the idea is like, what are you talking about? This I don't care. This is, yeah. This is just a, a physical. Yeah, object. I'm just, it means I'm, nothing. To no, me. I, it means nothing to me. Yeah. Yeah. I do not value this. Yeah. I value what it represents and what I'm about to do with it. Yeah, yeah. And guess what? I have another one, and you can have it. Yep. You know. Um, but I. But that's neither here nor there. No. See, I, I, I told you, dude. I go on tangents, man. No, that's um, fine. Yeah. So back to Bob White. <laughs> I was gonna say we'll eventually get back to it. That's yeah. Uh, so eventually, I, I found my way to Erdnays and the inner secrets of card magic. I wanted to learn for. Oh, so, I, I loved the movie Maverick, mm-hmm. and I wanted to learn how to deal off the bottom of the deck better than Richard Donner. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found Erdnays. Who knows how you find Erdnays? Probably through the Vernon stuff or connecting in. in who knows? Uh, you know. Yeah. It just happened, and uh, I started, you know, really diving into it. In that book, everyone knows it. It makes. 50-year-old minds melt a little bit, you know? Yep, yep. Um, but I also do not think that it reads like mechanical instructions or like... Uh, it's very poetic. Yeah, I think yeah. people are, even in the technical descriptions, I think he's lucid, concise, clear, sparing of words, although the, the, the grammar is Victorian. It is a well-written book. I don't care. Even if people say, "Well, it ex- he he betrays his, you know, his lack of education here," and I was like, "You know what? I don't know. It's it's not just because it's Victorian sounding. Mm-hmm. You come up with a sentence like we buck the tiger voluntarily and censure no one for the inevitable results.' This is a good phrasing, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, a little highfalutin, but it's." It's Erdnace. It's I, Reverend Esquire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I learned the I learned the bottom deal out of that book mm-hmm. to a degree that I knew I I don't I hit a roadblock. It ain't. It's not looking any better. Been yeah. doing this for months. Yeah. I did the same thing with the zero shuffle and the push through. And you just got to a point where I was just like I I do it. I did it in tricks. Fooled my friends. Mm-hmm. But I knew it wasn't right. I didn't use the bottom deal in tricks, really. And then I shit, but Bob saw me doing it. And instead of, you know, he'd say, what are you doing there? Come over here. And I'd show him things. And then he'd say, mm-hmm. And then I'd show him again, and he'd, he'd see it. Finally, he came, he, he pulled me aside one day. He says, look, I'm going to show you something that Charlie Miller showed to me, and as far as I know, that's it, right? So keep your mouth shut. Yeah. But I'm going to change. You've taken this as far as you can take it. He was watching to see where the cold letter, the black, and the, the, the text of Erdnase mm-hmm. stopped. And where my young mind couldn't read between the lines. Mm-hmm. Or interpret certain terms for what they really do mean. Mm-hmm. And when he did show me, I found out how exacting Erdnase's language is. And in, in like 10 minutes, he changed 
a few of the you know the bottom deal he changed now I didn't have it right away but in 10 minutes I knew what to do mm-hmm. and so from that point forward I just worked on it and now you know I don't know I mean 15 16 17 18 years I don't know I mean it's a, I just don't really think back that far but that long by that time you better have a good looking deal yeah and in that time I've come to learn that it's I'm, I'm I take more of a ski 40 approach that Bob had his curriculum, mm-hmm. and it was the Vernon curriculum, and the Miller curriculum, and the and the Bob White version of those curricula, all mm-hmm. laid out. You know, I told him one day, I was like 14, I said, I sure would like to learn cards up the sleeve, and he says, yeah, I bet you would. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he would just shut me down. Mm-hmm. He's like, you can't learn that trick. You're, you're, not, you're not ready. So yeah, he was great. And... Do you appreciate that, or is that like... Oh, I wouldn't trade it. His style of teaching, and the very few, I mean, I feel sad that only a few people will ever, because he was a very good teacher. He could get it across, but I mean, he was like, you know, might as well have had a ruler to whack your knuckles. But it was all out of love, and he wanted the magic to be good. He mm-hmm. wouldn't have been talking to me if he didn't think that I had the potential to do it well. Yeah. He saw I was capable and he recognized, like some people can't, that the only reason Vernon and Miller talked to him was because they saw he was capable. Yeah. And willing. You have to have both of those things. Those are necessary, you know, they're necessary and insufficient conditions to becoming good at anything. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to really pinpoint what it is about magic that I even find appealing. It's not fooling people. I don't really care about that. A trick should fool. Yeah. Obviously. But I don't know what it is. I think it's even more the the academic side that I enjoy. That's my hobby, is studying magic. Mm-hmm. And my job is performing it. Mm-hmm. It's really weird. And I try not to separate the two, but you just have to. That's all there is I study magic that I'll never perform for anyone. Sure. But it's good for academic purposes, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Bob, so Bob got me rolling on that. And, and his, he taught me how to identify good magic. He, I, he taught me about um, the Vernon style of, of magic and the Charlie Miller style and that hybrid of it. Of, uh, Do you want to explain what those are just a little yeah, bit? Yeah, it's this conversational, <clears throat> natural... It sounds so cliched, you hear it time and time again, and you'd have to really dive into it. But what I can say is is that Vernon took... I can summarize Bob's philosophy with a quote from Erdnays. And I'll preface it by saying that Charlie Miller gave Vernon a, a, a copy of Erdnays that he had notes in or something, and he wrote some nice thing in the, in the front. And then at the end of the little inscription, he said... The true secrets to magic are within the pages of this little book, Charlie Miller. And then many years later, I asked Bob to sign my copy of Erdnays in like 1996 or 7 when he did his first seminar. Mm -hmm. I was young. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything. He wouldn't talk to me then. And he wrote the true secrets to it. I was like, oh, this is so dope. That's so cool. Right? And and, And even then, especially after we started talking about it, 
Miller did not tell him that the secrets to gambling or cheating or card tricks are in there. He said to magic. And so Bob thought about that f for the better part of 40, 50 years. Mm -hmm. And his conclusion is that you take the Vernon Cup and Ball routine. Bob traced every phase, every action of that routine to the literature. Right? This, this part comes from Hoffman. And it's modified. Mm -hmm. This part comes from Sachs. This part comes from... And he could see where Vernon got all the bits. Mm -hmm. Or Pop Krieger was doing that. Or Malini was loading from the pockets. And it's just that, you know, that's what Vernon was good at, was taking all of these good ideas, recognizing what was great, and putting them together into something new. Uh, or And modern. He's, the, he's a modernist. Mm -hmm. He's with Joyce and, you know... Uh, Flan O'Brien, all, all the stuff that happened in, in the early part of the 20th century with architecture and uh, the, the rise of film mm -hmm. as an art form, that era, I find to be the... I, I love that, you know. Just the era is wonderful. And it's the wellspring of very... Just, just beautiful art. That also gives birth to an era I really like as a postmodern one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and if you don't have the modernist, it, you see how it goes. So Vernon was a modernist, and he could take what the classics, the classicists were doing, and make it accessible and real, seem real because it, he was using ordinary objects. He didn't have a a bunch of apparatus, right? This is the beginning of magic as we know it. Yeah. And there were others. There are precursors, just like. Yeah, Duchamp is a precursor. His cubism or proto-cubism, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. um, predates Picasso and others, right? But yeah. ask the average person who Picasso is, they say he's a painter or an artist or whatever they'll say. And you ask them the name of any other cubist, and they're like, huh? Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. Like that. Tell them what cubism is, I don't know, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of how it is. That's just the way it goes, you know? Vernon was an innovator, innovator because he recognized what all the people he admired, why they were good. They may not have known. And I don't know if Vernon was very good at articulating what was so great about them. But he, did, he knew it intuitively because he was just a genius, a real one, you know? I think he could have taken any medium and been great at it. Great at, silhouette artists know him and they don't know that he's a magician. Yeah. You know, they're like, oh, he was great. Yeah, he was a great 20th century silhouettist, da 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 Like, you do know he was the founder of modern magic, basically. And they're like, oh, really? Oh, I just knew he cut a piece of paper. You know? Um, I think he could have done anything he wanted. He could have been a good piano player or anything. So he took this line in Erdnase, which is, you know, I'm paraphrasing. Uh, Bob would be pissed at me right now if I couldn't quote it, right? But essentially, he says, your effect should be clothed with chicanery or plausible sophistry that apparently explains the procedure, but in reality explains the contrary of what takes place. I think Vernon latched onto that statement, or that statement just got absorbed into his entire psyche, Mm -hmm. And I think you'd be hard-pressed to name a trick where Vernon, Vernon does not apparently explain what he is doing. And that's the way that's done. 
Right. Or, you know, everyone knows that this ring here must have a hole, but it's very difficult to find. See if you can find it. And when he says that line, he's pointing at the ring with the hole in it. You know, if there's a ball under this cup, I must use an extra one. And now the audience is like, uh-huh, yeah, that's right. Makes sense. Right, makes sense. Yep, I knew that. It's a little bigger than the others. Bang! Oh! Right? And then it comes... I mean, try right. to think of it. They're very rare exceptions. Where Vernon doesn't tell you the method, and then... Show you. Show that's you that that's wrong. Mm -hmm. And that is the birth of Tamarese. Yep. Uh, I mean, all... It's just and and it's it's that conversational mode. So mm -hmm. apparently you're talking to these people with these people with the people that are participating or viewing, but all of their responses are implied. They don't participate. If they're hecklers, they might reply to you, mm -hmm. but they the average polite person doesn't. But it's like it it is as if it is a conversation. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how effective that is necessarily for theater because now you're getting into a, into a phase of like, man, if that's the case, that's permanent fourth wall breaking and magic kind of can't, you know, Houdini in a dime show. So like, ladies and gentlemen, I'm a man of 10,000 tricks and I will show you blah, 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 blah. You know, you only have so much time to, to you know, you're going to do trick, 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 trick and get the dimes, you know, your tips. Yeah, yeah. And... Not for Vernon. Vernon didn't care about that. He didn't give two shits about money, apparently. Right? <laughs> That's what we hear, yeah. No, he's just an artist. And that was the medium that he that chose him. And so, you get the best ring routine ever. The structure of it is... It's stunning. I mean, if you could break down the symphony of the rings to call it a symphony is no joke. It's masterful. I've tried to replace it. I've tried to eliminate rings. Six is the right number, and you might take out a couple of the falling ring phases, which I do, but that's only for time. Mm -hmm. Every time I cut them out, a little part of me feels terrible, because they're beautiful, they're just really good. But that's a routine that could be done exactly the same way to music, and, and I don't ever do it to music because Vernon said you have to hand out the rings. The trick is meaningless unless they feel they've examined every ring. And his, his version, the impression is that every ring was in someone else's hands. Maybe not at the same time, but look, I mean, that's what I mean. His way of thinking is so intuitive, it was intuitive to him, it must have been. We don't have very many notes. He would keep notes, try to read his notes, they wouldn't make sense anymore. Remember he said, like, Al Baker and I, or, or no, Dr. Daly and I had a, a star system, and I looked at my notes and it says, card reverse, third from the top, Five stars. And he's like, I don't know what the hell that trick is. That's from 1936. You know, I don't remember it. All of that stuff lost forever. You know? It's really difficult to pin what make, why is Picasso important? Is it just because he represented motion in a single frame? Right? Or the, the sides of three-dimensional objects in a, in a two-dimensional plane? Mm -hmm. Is that it? I'm not sure that's it. I'm pretty sure that's not it, right? Yep. But his his art stands on its own. His personality as an artist does. Yeah. Right? It's weird. Yeah, yeah. Vernon's like that. Vernon's like Picasso. And I think you know a Picasso or a Vernon when you see one. An artist is someone who lives outside their art, through their art. In my mind, like mm -hmm. someone who's truly 
great and a master not only are they known for that but it's like it's who they are it, 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 it's it's inextricable from their person yeah <clears throat> the best artists are I think are like that where you can't remove them at all yeah like I def- I mean if you have a soul whatever the hell that means you know what I mean <laughs> yeah. if you have human decency and you walk through the the post-impressionist wing or the impressionist wing yeah be prepared to be shaken yeah especially when you get to the Van Goghs and just you're like this guy struggled to sell his work thought he was a failure yeah thought nobody loved him yeah did you see that Doctor Who episode oh my god I cry so hard every I just time. I mean I'll watch it over and over and just cry like a little baby it's the, yeah me too it's the every nicest time. thing ever just thinking about it, it's getting me misty I know me too I know he's like oh to me he was the master of color you know and just when he starts what, what, mm-hmm. what do you think what do you think his importance as an artist is oh he may have been one of the most important men to ever live it's just it's yeah. just so nice yeah um, yeah I don't they become inextricably, inextricably linked mm-hmm. to what they do and I think you know Verne gets a little deified and stuff around magicians but of all the people that sat at Vernon's elbow and many people did and claim can claim to have done so mm-hmm. in my most humble of opinions I think that that Bob got the most out of Vernon or, or how do I put it? He, he emulated Vernon's thinking to such a degree that it feels Vernon-esque in a way that other Vernon students, their stuff, again, this is where it gets nitpicky and it's hard to explain. Mm -hmm. And it's not just a bias because, you know, that because Bob is my teacher and I love him like a father. Yeah. But I would tell you, I think, if I said, yeah, he was good. Bob was great. Very good. No, no, no. He really got the most from him. Because, look, I knew Roger Klaus. He was really good. He was Bob's best friend, you know, uh, for a time, at any rate. And that's a long story. But but I knew all those guys. And uh, I never met Skinner. I could have, but I I wouldn't have known who I was meeting. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but I know John Thompson and yeah. I, I'm lucky to know some of the right hand Steve Freeman right? yeah what a badass yeah right and he did he got quite a bit from Vernon you know the touch and the, the style of handling and his, his sleight of hand is impeccable but Bob man I don't know how to explain it but he kind of is Vernon-y you know what I mean like he kind of <laughs> If he had a, a higher pitched voice and was shorter, he just kind of might have become him, you know. <laughs> just slowly morphed. But he's not. Him. He's from Texas, and he's tall, and he doesn't take shit from anyone, right? <laughs> and uh, he's kind, you know, when he's when he's in his character and he's a continental gentleman, he's very kind, you know. But he's a cantankerous old guy, <laughs> just like Vernon was. You know, they're very very similar, and. Uh, and their magic is very similar. I think if Vernon, I know this may be blasphemous, but I think if Vernon could have seen Bob do the cups and balls when Bob was about 55 years old, mm-hmm. I think I think it might have brought tears to his eyes to see him do that routine. 
because wow. there's nobody else that learned the Vernon routine. And I'm not just saying the the phases. Yeah. I'm talking about the absorption of the way of handling and looking and when a cup is picked up and how gently it is placed down and the angle at which things are tipped and but but all the little bits and pieces. I think Vernon would have just looked at it and been charmed that someone had had learned that piece so beautifully. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Bob. I think Bob. Might, uh, anyway, I'm not. I'm not going to blaspheme too much on here. <laughs> but yeah, God, I mean, as I say, I'm just lucky. And if it weren't for Bob, I wouldn't know all the wonderful people that I know. Really. Yeah. Just luck. And yeah, you got to put in. You know the effort and you have to look but people get real I already liked it mm-hmm. I was already all in yeah yeah so when that once that's done can you keep rewarding yourself for your own tenacity that's just weird you know <laughs> so yeah Bob White is the no question is the only reason that I'm anything remotely of an accomplished magician of any kind uh, or I should say I might have become a pretty good magician, but I'm I wouldn't trade the magician I've become. I wouldn't trade his tutelage for anything because even though I don't really do, uh, you know, I could do Bob's club act. Yeah. The cards up the sleeve, the silk to the egg, the whole thing. And man, I've done it. You know, I bring out my P and L table and my derby and I set it down. But that just isn't really me. Mm-hmm. And you gotta start. I think that's very good to do is to start. And just admit that you need to imitate. Guitarists do it. Singers do it. Just get real. Just admit it. Yep. That you're you have to be duplicative, and 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 uh, your act is gonna be derivative. You don't know what you don't know what to evolve into until you know no. what you you know could be or have done. No. Yeah, I'm not. You know, I I read uh, some liner notes. I think they were John Mayer liner notes, and John Mayer is a kind of cat that just pisses you off. There's no doubt that he has great skill. I saw him at the like, uh, guitar festival in the 2001 or two, and I was like, man, that kid can play the guitar, man. And they're in one of the liner notes, he says, yeah, Eric Clapton is well aware that I play his licks. Yeah. I mean, he's cool with it. Yeah. And whoever he was calling, him, calling out, saying, you steal from Eric Clapton, he's like, I had breakfast with him. He knows that I do that. Yeah. That's why we're friends. Yeah. Because he did that to Muddy Water. Like, what, what are you talking about? Yeah, like, yeah. So, like, with Magic, I mean, it's a similar thing. I just did a set at the Magic Castle that was Steve Eller's effect, essentially, with some touches of my own and Pat Page. You know, I mean, now we're going to start listing the names of people. But then the next one is Max Maven and Bob White plus Chuck Smith and... Jerome Finley and Paul V. Hill, and then the last phase is Gary Plants and John Wilson. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's everyone else's stuff. Yeah. I'm just the person who put it together. But Max Maven was in that show, and yeah. Max calls the cards, and Max invented uh, pseudo psychometry in its impromptu ish guise mm-hmm. in, it, with desire, right? I mean, we obviously know. It's older than Animan, yeah. but it's, if we're going to give credit where it's due, taken four random business cards and just handing them, out, handing them out and doing something wonderful with them is all Max, right? Or we've got to give, we've, that's really 
what an in, what a change to the average thing just like drop some stuff in an envelope it's just so good yeah and it's one of those things where yeah once you see it you're like of course who wouldn't have thought of that and I was like well you didn't yeah he did and he comes and sees the show and and gives me great notes and so on and so forth and in any other if it were any other person people would be like oh that's Max's routine and da 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 and I'm like yeah he's fine with it I've talked to him about this and how I'm using like this is how it works you know like Bob for instance I'll, I'll mention this I have who cares yeah um, go ahead. it's kind of I'm not speaking ill I'm just saying the facts yeah Bob invented a version of the cap and pence and a, a one-handed method of getting into tilt that became attributed to Roger because Roger did them you know Mm-hmm. And I don't know what to what degree Roger uh, disabused people of it or said it. it. happens all the time. Michael Amar makes easy-to-master card miracles, and people think he invented the ambitious card. And he never claims that he did, and it credits the source on the tape. Yeah. Right? Oh, I love that trick. That is that the visitor? That's Michael Amar's, right? I'm like, no, it's Larry Jennings, right? But, yep, I know where you saw it. Yeah. And that's okay, too. Yeah, I, yeah. I love Michael Amar. But the same thing... Could happen to anyone, mm-hmm. right? But he did manufacture Bob's version of Cap and Pence, and that did not go over well with them, with Bob. And eventually, he, you know, they reconciled their relationship over this very major faux pas, if you can call it that, right? Yeah. And that taught me a really big lesson of all the magic lessons is like, you know, Bob taught me you got to take people for who they are, you know. Because otherwise you're going to miss out on things. So you might have to hang with a couple of people whose scruples are not the same as yours in a variety of ways. Mm -hmm. And your common interests will keep you together. You learn from one another and so on. But you may not agree with everything that they do or say. You know? And you don't even have to respect everything that they do or say. Yeah. But that really... Just that, watching his relationship with him, with Roger Klaus, taught me quite a bit. I just wouldn't be the person I am without Bob, at all. Not not magician, just dude. Yeah, yeah. So I love him, yeah. And he's just a great magician. What else can you say? I wish I knew him better. I mean, gosh, I've, I've met him one time. Yeah. And he just, he seems like... You know, I, cause I, I grew up actually not even far from you. Mm-hmm. You know, I was four hours away from yeah. him. And, but I didn't have any magicians. There was nobody that I knew. But, like, because of that, and because I grew up in the internet age where I could, you know, buy books online and learn things from the twins and things like that, I wanted to go and meet other magicians, but I wanted to be as good as I could be mm-hmm. so that, you know, it wasn't like, oh, this kid's a piece of shit. He yeah. doesn't know anything. And... You know, but the whole time I was reading this stuff about Vernon and Jennings and, you know, even Scarney and, and it just, you know, the old guys, the old school, like, you know, kind of golden age of close-up guys. And I was thinking, like, the prototypical version of these people in my mind is Bob White. Yeah. What you, he would like, be like yeah. what you would have encountered if there were... If you were lucky enough to meet the people who lived in the golden age. If he went to the Kit Kat Club, yeah. 
he might have been at the other table working while Vernon was doing his tables. Yeah. You could just see it. Yeah. He lives, and that, he's from another time. And it's one of the... He's from the time where it's timeless. You can take a photograph of Cary Grant in the 40s, and and if, if he's in the right suit, you don't know when that picture was taken. Yeah. At all. Yeah. It just has timeless style. Yeah. And Bob has timeless style. It's hard to pinpoint. Here's the thing. The irony is, is that because he has timeless style, he must come from another time. Because he's not hip, he's not into fashion, mm -hmm. he doesn't care. So that in and of itself betrays his timelessness, which is hilarious, <laughs> you know? Paradoxical. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, he's the kind of guy, I, but the thing is, it's like, I, I didn't know who he was. I don't, I, you know, he's not... He, he he's wanted not, it that way, believe me. He would tell me things like, you know, Jared, obscurity and incompetence is the life best worth living. I think I got that from Mark Twain. You know, he would say that. He, he's in Corsicana. He lives out there because the bakery is good. I mean, I'm not kidding you. <laughs> he doesn't like the, the, the traffic in Dallas. And he's like, man, that, <laughs> that bakery, man, those fruitcakes. You know, I mean, whatever it is. He's just strange. And he doesn't, he doesn't want the attention. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want magicians knocking on his door. When we did those DVDs in, t in like 2005, when we started those with the card palming and the, and dude, you want to talk about a shoestring project. I mean, we went to, to Fry's and bought a digital camera that was pretty hot then. Man, if you saw it now, you'd be like, what a piece of garbage, you know? <laughs> and uh, we went to town, bought lights and everything and set it up in a, and just shot in his house with lamps, like, you know, table lamps, <laughs> hidden everywhere to try to eliminate shadows, no soft boxes, nothing. <clears throat> and never in my wildest dreams would I think he would ever commit anything to video mm -hmm. to show people, to teach them, mm -hmm. because he, secrets matter to him, but not so much so that he's going to take them to his grave, and so now that these products have been out, and I kind of knew going into it, I'm like, how many are we going to print? A thousand? Yeah. Very few people are ever going to see this. Very few people who do see it will put in the time to learn it. Yeah. It took you 40 years to get that good at palming. Yeah, yeah. That's the commitment. Are you ready to put in 40 years into something? If you're not, then that will be part of your collection of discs and you can show them off on your bookshelf and... People will compliment you. Say, "Wow, you have a lot of DVDs." You know, I mean, that's what—that's all it's going to be. And so, when when that attitude hit him, he's like, "Yeah, I guess I can release this, and the people who do get it will get value out of it." Yeah. When that changed, which was a change, like he would not like every seminar. He didn't do lectures. If you went to a Bob White seminar, you were there for eight hours. Sometimes it was two days long. Like you would break and go come back and do the next half it was an intensive workshop only mm -hmm. never a lecture never because he wasn't out to teach you a new trick mm -hmm. every trick in bob's notes is a classic trick yeah jazz aces none of some of them aren't even good tricks they're just in there to illustrate like look this is how you can apply the flash double and the, the false counts and the displays so that you're you're you have the uniformity of action. Uh, one thing for certain is I think Bob took this concept of uniformity of action that's in Erdnay's mm -hmm. and just look at the false counts. They speak for themselves. 
the short, the long, dealing into the, into the spectator's hand or onto the table or just counting from hand to hand. They look absolutely uniform. Even Vernon's short and long counts didn't match. He would do the perfect pitch count and then he would do a buckle count or a push off, usually the buckle count. And all of Bob's counts are identical. He can count a packet of 10 cards as three. He can count a packet of five cards as 10 and then four and then seven and then three and then 12, right? And there is no, there's no difference. The true cannot be distinguished from the blind. And that's what it boils down to. And why can't it? Because the actions are uniform. They're the same. The blind and the true are identical. But for the most crucial part is that they're not. Right? God, he's good. I heard a story. He's I so think uh, I talked to Gary was at Magic Fest. Mm-hmm. Oh, awesome. And we recorded a podcast with him. Sweet. And it was great. And he, I think, I think it was Gary. It may have been somebody else, but I, I remember thinking about it with Gary. Is there was some convention or something? Somebody, there's a kid there, and he was doing this like really flashy double lift, and, <laughs> and Paul was like, "What are you doing?" Yeah. It was a double lift. We'll do it again. Why the hell would you ever do something like that? <laughs> saying, this is all you gotta do. You show the goddamn card and you put it back on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like to him, a double lift should look like. You're showing one card. Yeah. It's weird when the action to show two is different. Like, a a magician who turns over a single card on the deck, turns Mm -hmm. over one card, and then does a... When it comes time to do the double, and the actions aren't the same, to Bob, it... it, Like, he can't even fathom how someone would ever do that. Mm Mm-hmm. It's obvious to him. Yeah, That they should be identical. Yeah. You know, as I say, Bob doesn't articulate these things. They are innate in him. He mm-hmm. thinks about them. Don't get me wrong. And he can, when it, if he has to write an essay about it, his essays in, in It's a Matter of Style should just be essential reading. You know, he says lines like, uh, a, a bottom dealer can deal the bottom card from the deck as effortlessly as he can deal from the top. And the person who receives this card is no more expecting such a thing than he is being struck by lightning right that's how he thinks about it you know so he's like any action yeah that would ruin that you don't do <laughs> ever right you yeah. know why are you waking up the you know the sheep don't wake them up yeah, yeah, or what yeah. i don't that that phrase it doesn't make any sense but don't wake them up yeah they're asleep yeah that's that's what separates him from from people and what's weird because everything that we're talking about is preached and pontificated you know people say yeah, that yeah, stuff yeah. be natural yeah. don't do this they all it's all slogans mm-hmm. but I don't see it being applied I see it being applied in a handful of people and there's sometimes even they will they'll be, they'll be like eh, no I'm not supposed to <laughs> but I'm going to do it anyway well I guess the counter argument is you know, you wouldn't show a card the same way in every situation. That's true. Yeah. But, I mean, in every... Let's say there are five situations of showing a card. Yeah. You have a card, you have the deck in your hand, you push off the card, and you, you push it off, yep. you take it and look at it yourself. Mm-hmm. 
situation number one. Okay. It will always look the same way. Every time you have to look at the card yourself and not show it to someone else, and the deck is in your hand, you push it off and it's always done the same way. If you had to, for some fucking weird reason, push off a double and look at it yourself and not show it to anyone, yeah. it would then mirror the true. The true. If you had to push off a card and show it to the audience and then put it right back on top of the deck, you would push it off, show it to the audience, put it on top of the deck. Then you would do it with two cards and make that look identical. Mm -hmm. It sounds so self-evident. Yeah. But it isn't. Yeah. It just isn't. If it were, people would be doing it. And they don't. And they hold up expert card technique and Erdnays as their Bibles, and they just ain't reading the Bible. I think... I think it's because they're they're solving they're coming up with a solution before they know what the problem. They're obsessed is. with method and practicing and fun, and that's okay too. Absolutely. There's room enough for everyone. Yeah. And in my show at the castle this week, I broke the rule. Right. I came out. I showed the pack of cards. I'm a, I'm trying to get across the feeling that the cards are not in any particular order. Mm -hmm. And I am never going to say, I shall now shuffle them. I'm not going to say they are in a random order. I'm not going... So everything I do is predicated on this idea of, if they weren't in order, how would I behave? Yeah. I wouldn't give a shit. That's how I'd behave. So I take them out of the box, I hand them to someone. Yeah. I say, spread through those. Are they all different? Yeah. Right? I take them back. And man, a couple of times people drop the deck. And there is no backup deck. You know, yeah. as a professional, you say, oh, you have a backup deck and you can do a switch. And a, you know what? If I handed it to them and they dropped it, that trick's over. I'm, no, mm -mm. You, you did not manage your audience well. You're punished now, magician. You must now roll with that punch, right? The first time I saw you yeah. at the castle uh, this week. It happens. Spread through the deck and the guy just started, started shuffling them. There yep. you go. And you can't say, did I tell you to shuffle? You just got to roll right along like it doesn't matter, right? Yep. That's hard to do sometimes, especially, I think that was the first show. You, know, can, you can get that deer caught in headlights look about you. But I'm trying to get across this idea of it. And so I say uh, the only difference between these and the ones that come straight from the CVS or the factory, whatever, whatever it is I'm saying, mm -hmm. um, is that I've been, I've been shuffling these backstage and bending them and breaking them in. Bending them to my will, you might say. And now I do just a spring flourish, as I say, bending them to my will. Because there is no apparent sleight of hand throughout the rest of the show. Mm -hmm. There is no magic for the first three minutes or so. Yeah. There's nothing. There's not even procedure. Mm -hmm. That thing, that's dangerous. So I give them a little something, which we often forget isn't widely seen. And uh, I found a nice little way to flourish in a magic act that I would never do if I were about to employ, well, even though I am employing sleight of hand, but doing more, doing effects that seem sleight of handy, yeah. right? If I were doing ace assemblies and travelers and stuff, yeah. uh, I, wouldn't, I, would, I might not even give the deck a really elegant ribbon spread. I might not even go there. Mm -hmm. Right, but in this act, it didn't feel so wrong. And I could be wrong. I could be a hypocrite. I could be completely wrong. But th that's an effective. I used it for something, mm -hmm. you know. And yeah. that that maybe that's how I'm I'm getting around that little that moment of anti-Nazian action, you know. 
one single display of dexterity and your usefulness is passed in the present company and your reputation is likely to precede you in many another. Excessive vanity proves the undoing of many experts. The temptation to show off is great, but the professional should never slough over. <laughs> oh, geez. And if you think that's, well, that's in the gambling section. You just turn to the ledger domain section and read what he says about showing off. <laughs> mm -mm. Yeah, he is not a fan. But he's dead. <laughs> yeah, and that's we're true. not. Yep. You know? And I have to say, emerging out of magic is this little subgenre that's a, like this weird hybrid of magic and juggling. And, um, and Dan and Dave themselves are largely responsible for its ubiquity. Mm -hmm. And it is, uh, it's, it's just some, visually it's stunningly beautiful. And that just can't be wrong. Yeah. Mixing them will take a, you know, using that, if you're gonna make, use them together, like Henry Christ, here's a guy thinking, he does his whole show, and at the end, he walks out, takes his bow, and, and is doing multiple cuts in each hand. And people are like, oh shit, now I get it. He could have done anything with those cards. And I think most magicians would be better off not getting their audiences to ever think such a thing. Yeah. The thing is, is we kind of do live in a modern world. And... People like, I've seen magicians, they can do anything with cards. And now you're magicians, yeah. you, individual, you're magicians, and they can, and so on. So an art, a real artist might find a way to find a good hybrid. Mm -hmm. I, I still am not convinced it's for me, but I also have to admit that I secretly am fucking around with the worm every <laughs> once in a while. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's yeah, fun. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, it's weird. I, I, I did... And I, to me, the argument of flourishing and doing magic in, let's say, the same set mm -hmm. is literally no different for me as someone doing a gambling routine and magic in the same set. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of parallel there. And I also am not... I'm, I'm with Erdnays. I do not like the hypocritical cant of so-called reformed gamblers. The yep. best gambling yep. routine that I've ever seen, uh, and it was never performed, it was just kind of in the context of a similar discussion as to what we're having, mm -hmm. um, the person, who shall remain nameless now because I don't know if I can betray their confidences, they didn't expose any of the moves. They didn't name any of the moves they were doing. Mm -hmm. They were showing that you can be cheated. Yeah. But they didn't say, and here's what I'm doing here, and mm -hmm. turn a card face up and second deal it. That never yeah. happened. I was like, aha, that's interesting. But you're right. Like in some magic tricks, like cards up the sleeve, are just displays of skill. What else could they be? Yeah. And that's not Erdnazian, and he's got a full deck version of cards up the sleeve in his book. Mm -hmm. So you get, you, you know, you're grasping at. The, the teeniest tiniest threads in these arguments here and not all the you know they're not steadfast rules yeah someone you know here's if, if anyone's looking for a good way of introducing flourishes it's like I saw Steve 40 on some clip that he did for the world poker tour who knows but it, it's called the, the hand is quicker than the eye it's like a bonus from a DVD and I think it's floating around on the internets 
Um, and he opens with the, a line to the effect of a lot of people when they think of cards, they think of oh, think of uh, you know playing cards. They think of fancy moves and sleight of hand. And he does a spring and does some other flourish. That's his opening thing to get into the you know I'm going to show you how you can protect yourself, right? And I said, what a good intro that would be for a magician to say. You know, a lot of people, and you, you could be doing the worm or the, the leno or whatever the cut you're doing, and you say, a lot of people, when they think of magic, they think of fancy moves and sleight of hand. Mm -hmm. But I assure you, ladies and gentlemen, I will not touch these cards. And now you could go into, like, some crazy mental routine or yeah, something, yeah. and people are like, that wasn't, I mean, he could do sleight of hand. I saw him. Yeah. But he didn't. That's, so, that's what I right? kind of that could be interesting when mm -hmm. I was yeah. performing. Is. And you'd have to... At least you're thinking, though. At and least you're thinking, how can I... I know that there's a problem here, that there's... There, there is a heads. duality of... Yeah. And this... Every time... I, like an expert card technique, Hugert and Browley themselves, they say, don't... Don't riffle the ends of... Don't even riffle the ends of the cards. Right? Oh! How many times have you been walking through a convention in here? And people are just like... Endlessly yeah. fidgeting with Fidget, the just, yeah. <laughs> You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is a, that's a good spot to be in because now, I don't know how many people saw Smoke and Aces, but I do know plenty of those people went home and looked up whatever that was called. Mm -hmm. Tried to find out, what did that guy do in Smoke and Aces, right? And that spawned a bunch of people in the same way that any movie, you know, the Maverick one, I wanted to learn how to deal off the bottom. Because mm -hmm. of that movie, Maverick. That's what, 1995? Yeah. Right? Smoke and Aces is what, 2006 Two, or seven? Yeah, I think. Yeah, right? right um, that definitely got some new fans. So now we live in a world where flourishing is all over the planet. I've, I know lay people who will come up and say, can you, can you do that? I saw this guy and he was doing... They're describing... Flourishing, so it's everywhere. It's not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. The argument remains the same as it ever was, but now it's in the general zeitgeist. Though mm -hmm. people are aware of it, yeah. In the in the same way, like when you go, like if you get booked for a gig, and they're like, "Oh, we would like you to go from table to table." That's because one of those jackasses went to an event, saw a magician going from group to group to group, who likely was not particularly good. Right, <laughs> and thought we should have that at our party. Yeah, yeah. And I do everything in my power to dissuade people from doing interruption magic. Yeah, yeah. Mariachi magic, rose cellar magic. Right. I'm trying to, but they want. That's the only thing they've ever seen. So we have to be careful also about what we spread out into the general cultural zeitgeist, because they will begin to think, for instance, that all magic, the only way to do it is from to walk from person group to group and be a jerk. And they might think, you know, we can't hire a magician. All they do is stand up there and cut the debt. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So we got to be careful there. Now, that's an extreme example. Of course. But, but it's I could also see someone hiring a, a whole row of flourishers, right? Who, as like a five-minute act, do like like do this barrage if they were just a single person who comes on and does something to music, perhaps. Like it, then it would be like dance, and now mm -hmm. we're now we're getting into it isn't magic, but it feels magical, exactly. and I think a lot of magic could stand to be 
to have the same sentence uttered about it. Yeah. It's obviously not magic, but doesn't it feel magical? Yes. So that's more important to me than these little nitpicky things these days. Me too. Yeah. It's about, yeah, it, it's, oh gosh, it's about creating a cohesive message in, in that whatever the purpose is, and whatever you think the purpose ought to be, that's what it should be. Couldn't agree um, more. Well, thank you so much for being here and doing it. I, I This is great. I had a great time. <laughs> I had a great time, too. What a good... Uh, the coffee was good. <laughs> Chit-chat was good. Chit-chat was good. Mm -hmm. Next time you're out here, we'll do another one. That sounds great. Okay. All cool. Right. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening in podcast land. Be well. <laughs> <laughs>